from Mark 4, 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if, if you are hearing, um, uh, you know, a sharp buzzing thing, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm not hearing it, so I don't know what that means. No, uh, not, we're not sure what it is. We're trying to fix it, but it is here. So, new space and all. Well, inside jokes are awesome, and they're also terrible, right? I mean, if you're on the inside of an inside joke, it's the best, right? There's the familiarity, there's the sense of, yes, I have seen that show. I did catch that YouTube, that Instagram post. If you're in that room or amongst those friends and you didn't participate, if you didn't see, if you didn't catch it, if you weren't at that hilarious event or that hilarious thing happened, well, then you're on the outside. And be on the outside of an inside joke, let's just be honest. That's the worst, right? Like the joke about the, you know, the squealing. It's, we'll all know this and we'll joke about it later, but the people who aren't here or are missing out on this moment, they won't get to laugh about it. See, we're laughing about it. We're laughing about it. Being on the outside is always the worst. No one wants to be on the outside. Do you want to be on the outside? 
I mean, not of something that matters, not of something that seems significant. And yet, um, in this passage, in this um, moment of Jesus talking about what the kingdom of God looks like, he talks about people just being on the outside, that there's insiders and outsiders. Like, Jesus, Jesus is saying this. Like, it's, it's Jesus saying that there's insiders and outsiders. It's not me. It's Jesus saying there are people who are inside. There are people who are outside. Smolzing's passage is the first of the parables in the book of Mark, and it is... Um, it's a doozy. It's a special one. It's one of those that appears in three of the other Gospels. And, um, and what we see in this morning in this passage is we're going to see that there, is, that there is a particular kind of seed both for the insider and the outsider. There is a seed for the insider and for the outsider. There is this message. There is a, there's a word. There's a, there's a purpose for this message. You see, what's, what's the seed? The seed is the message of good news, the word, the gospel, that, that the kingdom is at hand and that it's coming in Jesus Christ. That's the seed. And that that changes everything, that Jesus changes everything. That's the news of the seed. As the king, Jesus redefines the good life. He redefines everything and what it looks like to grab hold of this kingdom, this good life that he is ushering in. And Jesus tends to share this message of the kingdom, this seed in parables. Now, parables are, are intended to unsettle. It's intended to be disruptive, sometimes even ominous or, or shocking. Parables are unapologetically created for insiders and outsiders, for an insider-outsider reality actually, and Jesus seems to really like parables. He'll tell 60 or so individual parables throughout the Gospels. It's one of his preferred forms of teaching, teaching and if they're not meant to reinforce the status quo. They're not meant to go, hey, listen, this is what you expect. Yep, 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 I recognize that. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's flipping everything upside down. He's taking the expecting and turning it on its head. He's upending predictable values and he's reclassifying social norms and standards. He's flipping things on their head and he is the master of the parable. But the crowd around Jesus, not unlike the culture around us, well, they, they wanted the kingdom, but they just didn't want the king. Mike mentioned that last week. They wanted the kingdom, but not the king. They liked his miracles, they liked his displays of power. They even liked some of the uniqueness of some of his teaching. It seemed like it had authority in a different way than some of the others, but they didn't like the message inside the message. They weren't as fond of that. They, they wanted the peace like we do, the, the dignity, the, the justice. We want, they wanted the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. People today want a sense of purpose and of meaning, of happiness, but... We want the stuff of God, the goods of the kingdom, but, but we don't want the rule of the king. That was true then, and that's true now. And what Jesus does when he teaches in parables is he just reveals that dichotomy. That people want the kingdom, they want the stuff of the kingdom, but they don't want the king. They want, they want the stuff of the good life, but they don't want the author of the good life. 
And you can't get the kingdom without the king. Not really. Not truly. And life in our own realm where we have our own authority out from under the rule and the reign of Jesus well, there's no need for understanding. There's no need to hear, which is entire parables about hearing. There's no need to, to repent or to turn because, because we are worshiping our own crown and our own scepter in our own way. This is a parable about understanding parables. This is as though Jesus started his sermon and said, I'm going to talk today in this sermon about how to listen to this sermon. That's basically what he's doing. He's saying, well, I'm about to tell a whole bunch of stories, a whole bunch of parables, not allegories, parables that have one central idea in them, and, and I'm going to do it. But before that, I need to tell you how you're supposed to listen to these, how you're going to hear these, how you're going to allow these to become something significant in your life, which is why he begins in verse 3 with the words, listen, listen. And then all the way in verse 9, he finds himself saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen, parable. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the invitation of Jesus through the parables, through all the parables. Which is why he looks at his disciples in verse 13 and says, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? You see, this parable is the key, if you would, that unlocks all the other parables. No one will understand a parable unless they understand how to apply this parable. Do you understand this parable? Because if you don't, I got good news. We're about potentially, potentially for you to unlock all of the parables. How excited are you? At the center of this parable is verse 10 to 13 and it's the, it's the hinge, it's the, as Mike used last week, it's the, it's the meat of the sandwich. It's the center, in a sense, that explains the very core, the very purpose, the very key to this passage. That only, listen, that only in fellowship with Jesus do, parable, do parables disclose their meaning about the kingdom of God. That only in connectivity, in fellowship with Jesus, do parables reveal their truth about what the kingdom of God is like? So do you want to understand what God has to say about the good life? Do you want to understand what you're expecting in this world? Well, you have to be connected to Jesus. Do you want to know how to walk out all that he has for you, the purposes he has for you with confidence? You're going to have to walk it with Jesus under his rule and according to his will. Do you want to know the meaning of life or particularly the meaning of your life? Well, you can only discover it by submitting to his word and his ways as the author of life. Jesus gives parables to outsiders. And to outsiders, he says, he only gives parables. But outsiders don't want more than parables. That's Jesus' point. And I know what time we live in. That doesn't seem fair. I mean, if he just explained the parables to everyone, everyone would come running, right? That's not how it works. That's not how Jesus describes the reality of the human heart. He explains it to the disciples, and they have a hard time understanding. Wait, you mean that the answer is actually, that you're the answer? That, that I'm supposed to be following you? That the answer to every question in a sermon is indeed Jesus? 
Sunday school is correct. Only in parables. And the answer of the crowd is thanks, but no, no thanks for more. But there are insiders, shocking as that is. Insiders get not just the parable, but they get the explanation of the secret, the mystery of the kingdom of God. And aren't you grateful that, that, that we get told through the scriptures what this mystery is, what this, what this secret is? Verse 11, Jesus says, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything is in parables. In other words, as John Piper says, the parables are part of Jesus' concealing and hardening ministry as well as part of his revealing and saving ministry. When he teaches a parable, people say, yeah, that's nice. Are we doing any more miracles? Because that's kind of why I'm here. I don't really care what this means. It sounds clever. It's interesting to listen to. It's common fare. It's about merchants and it's about kingdoms. It's about banquets. It's interesting stories, but I don't really want to know what they mean. I'm particularly interested in what you can offer me. What do you have today? And Jesus says, insiders get the explanation because they want to know. They want to hear. They want to understand. And so for them, it is, it's rescue. It, it's revelatory. It's it's good news. So, if you have a hard time, it's not fair that there's insiders, outsiders. If you're feeling like, you know what, I don't want to be a part of something that has insiders and outsiders in it, and so I'm going to stay on the outside, I just want to say, that's not the way. What Jesus says is, is come in. Enter. Come and see. Come and hear. That there is something to be heard that will change your life, I will give you the secret of the kingdom of God. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but do you want to know the secret of the kingdom of God? I mean, is that, do, you, do you want that to be deeply impregnated into your soul? Do you want that to be like the bottom fabric of what's going on in you, the, the substance under all things? I do. I don't always, but I do. And, and if the spirit of God is in us, then that is what he's awakening in you this very morning. So, here, come, you're invited. Both the message and the method that he uses are to let us wake up to the reality that there's something significant to be had and he has it for you. He's not tricking you. So there's a seed for the insider and an outsider, but there's an insider and an outsider soil that the seed falls on. See, Jesus seems to be pointing that the human heart is likened in this sense to soil, to, to ground, to, to dirt. We said the central mark of the insider is someone who is with Jesus. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, Steve talked about that Jesus pulls his disciples and he said that they may be with him. Remember that? That's the mark of a disciple is that they're with him. It's one of the marks of the disciples that they're with him. That's the central mark of an inside soil. We can hear only by being with Jesus. And by being with Jesus, the mysteries of the kingdom are revealed. What this means is that there's a spiritual ear. There's a, there's a 
heart-level ear that, that, that's paying attention, that's, that's listening through, through the preached word, through the read word, through the, through the good news of the gospel, through the, through the implications of the gospel as they weave themselves into your soul. It's not just mere words. It's power, Romans says. It is not like power, it is power. The power of God to salvation. And therefore, there's beauty and there's, there's truth and there's, there's power. And these ears hear it and they're drawn to it. This soil hears it and it's drawn to it for transformation, for sustaining. So what are the evidences? What are, what are the marks? What are the manifestations of that kind of spiritual ear of the people who hear, the people who understand, people who want to know? What's the marks of the good soil? Well, the first mark is um, seen in, in verse 10. It said, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. The first mark of, of someone who has insider soil, who has good soil, is that they ask. They inquire of Jesus. What does this mean? What are the implications here? How does this work? Help me, I can't seem to make sense of this. We ask for meaning. We ask the Holy Spirit to, to pursue the truth in us, to pursue the truth through the word. We ask God to drive the truth deeper into the soil of our hearts, to, to press it deeper in to the very place from which it can germinate and have life. We ask for the implications of the gospel to be played out in us, to wrestle with God and to, to wrestle with other people, not superficially, but to, but to push it all the way down. Father, I don't hear well. I don't see well. Will you help me? I just heard the word. I just read the word. I Spirits, I don't know what exactly it means. Will you help me? Will you show me? Will you enlighten me? And that is precisely what the Spirit does. He reveals, he illumines, he awakens. But the inside soil asks. The outsider soil doesn't ask. It, it, the outsider soil doesn't want to know. It isn't curious. It leaves the message on the surface just where it is. This is nice information. These are nice ideas. The outsider soil operates on a confirmation bias. Doesn't want new information or new insights that would, that would potentially alter what you've already decided is true about God, about the world, and so Satan takes it away and you're fine with it. Sean Hart, who's back this morning, I wasn't sure if you're going to be here, who worships with us and his wife Carly. Uh, he works for Robbie Zacharias Ministry, and several times a year they go and do campus missions where they go to college campuses, and they have sessions and conversations with college students. Um, Ivy Tyson also goes regularly, and she was telling me about uh, one of the questions that Sean asks regularly, especially when he's having a conversation with someone that just doesn't seem to want to have a conversation with him about Jesus. And the questions he asked... He confirmed it's roughly this question. He says, if I could prove to you that this is true, would you want to believe it? What Ivy told me and she said that 
What's surprising is how often the answer is no. Even if you could prove it to me, I, I, don't, I don't want to know. I, I don't want this to be true. I don't want the implications of what it would mean to be true. The answer is the answer's no. The good soil asks, help me, Father. The insider soil asks. It doesn't just ask, but it also repents. It turns towards Jesus. Look at verse 12. This is the quote from Isaiah chapter, chapter 6. It says, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should, what? Turn and be forgiven. You see, the, the good soil Ask, here's the word, asks what and how and, and as it begins to work its way down into the soul, down into the heart, it repents, it turns. Verse 20 says, it accepts. The word turn actually just means changes in a, a manner of life towards God. Verse 20, it says, the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. who take the word in and, and give it space so that it can make its way, so that its power can be released inside, within, changing the trajectory. This is a heart that accepts God's narrative about the good life. Not all the narratives. No, no, God's narrative about the good life. It accepts it, it receives it, and it says, yes. It's a turn that's defined by being with Jesus and reorienting our hearts towards the way he would call us to walk. The outsider soil doesn't operate like that. It hears a different narrative and, and then it just it turns away. There was... Um, a few, gosh, it was probably about two months ago or so, we had uh, someone came into the church midweek. They were looking for some help. And uh, so I'd spend about an hour and a half talking through kind of the circumstances of their life and challenging. And, and he just kept expressing this very singular thing. He said, listen, there's, there's a way in which I can get my life back on track if, if someone or some organization like this church could, could, could lend me $4,300. I have this foolproof, perfect business plan that could get me off the ground, get me back on track, and everything would be great. So we talked, and we talked about a variety of different options. And, and so uh, on Sunday, I said, listen, why don't you just come, come on Sunday, come to church. And so he came on Sunday, came to church, and, and Clark Collins met with him afterwards, one of our benevolence deacons. And, and he was talking and listening, and he listened hard, he listened hard. And, um, and I walked by a couple times, heard some of the similar narrative I had heard. And, and then I, as I walked by one final time, I heard Clark ask this. He said, he says, I think in order to truly trust God with your life, you might need to lay that plan on the altar and take a different road forward. And the response, which was mixed with a couple of expletives, which is also always awesome in the sanctuary, um, was immediate. And it was absolutely not. No, that cannot be the way. That cannot be something anyone asks of me. The conversation was over within five minutes. He walked out and he never came back. He heard a word, a good word from Clark. 
Is it possible that that thing that you're hanging on to as life itself, what if you took it and you laid it down and said, maybe this isn't life itself. Maybe God has another way for me. No, no way. It can't be that. I don't want to hear that word. That's what Jesus sounds like. That's what the gospel says. Heard the word and walked away. It was too difficult. Suffering comes in according to this parable and it breaks people. Verse 16, and, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Okay, at first glimpse, this seems like really good news. And they have no root in themselves. But endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. But they fall away to something though, right? When, when we leave God's purposes, for, we don't just go into a vacuum. We go to something else, right? Another message, another more palatable, more exciting, more, well, maybe just less costly story. Maybe there's a way around the cost of discipleship without submitting to God's will all the way and his way all the way with my life. It's the reality of people who struggle with saying, I can't be associated with a God who would say this about sexuality or would make these kinds of declarations about, about gender. That's just not possible. He can't be that kind of God. Can't deal with a God who would, who would allow terrible things to happen to people who've done nothing wrong or, or, or allow things to happen to me when I've done nothing wrong. can't make peace with a God who doesn't love me the way that I long to be loved, who doesn't heal me in the ways that I long to be healed, who doesn't answer my prayers in the timing or in the method that I would ask. The ultimate conclusion of the rocky soil is not that Jesus isn't true, which is the first soil. It's that God isn't good. That alleged good life is just not any good anymore. So the sower and the, simple, and the seed, they can't be trusted. And basically, I'm on my own. So suffering comes and it, and it, and it breaks people. And, and that's one of the outsider soils. But prosperity and comfort comes and it chokes people. Verse 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You see, this is the imagery of a, a more robust plant. You notice, right? It's not an issue of root here anymore. It's actually an issue of how deeply it was planted next to other things. If you garden and you find yourself planting seeds for flowers and next to it you plant seeds at the same time all the seeds from the weeds, they come up together. Isn't it amazing? It's like they were waiting for you to fertilize so that they can come and join your beautiful creation. That's what happens, right? They come up together. And that's the point. 
It's not so much about how deep has it gone. It's just that how deep has it gone along with all the deep ways other things have gone. Jesus does a great job of making something broadly enough. It's the riches and all the implications about trust and what it means to have God be the center versus the ways I can care for myself be the center. Deceitfulness of riches, desire for other things. I think we all know this. This is probably a better picture. Syncretism is probably a better picture here, right? It's, it's the things that are equally important. Or, or when, when God doesn't seem to be quite enough, it's the things that I go in and lean on. It's when, it's when you had a bad day or you're feeling bad about your body and you go and you buy something to feel better. It works, as our economy can prove. It works, um, but, but it's, it's two plants growing up side by side. You see, the reality of the gospel hasn't gone deep enough to when, when, when you don't like who you, what's going on with your body or you don't like what just happened at work or you're finding yourself struggling with purpose or not having a sense of what the future could look like, God's invitation is to say, come with me. Christ is saying, come, come near to me. Ask me and, and I'll guide you. We say, you know what? You're not going to be quite enough, thanks, but you're not quite enough. And so I'm going to find another thing, another way. So in what ways, in what ways are, are you manifesting outsider kind of soil? In what ways have you been invited to repent? Have you heard the word and, and you've asked and you've been invited to repent and you said, you know what, that's going to be just a little too costly for me. Because that's the call. That's what God wants us to see in us and what the manifestation of that is what he calls bearing fruit. You see, the good soil, the insider soil bears fruit. The insider soil manifests the life of Jesus abundantly. And that's what's so cool about this parable is that though there are like some rough challenges and it's like, okay, there's three quarters of the seed that don't seem to yield long-term much of anything, if anything at all. But it ends on this, on this picture of abundance. If you're a farmer here, as most of you are, um, you know this already. I had to read it in a book, that a normal yield on any particular crop is about tenfold. That's the expected yield. If you have like a, a gangbuster year, you're maybe at 20-fold. And so, so the stories of 30, 60, and 100 is frankly like agricultural nonsense. Yeah, it's, it's supernatural yield. Like, do you want to know what the good life looks like? 30, 60, and 100-fold supernatural yield, the kind of thing that's so abundant that in a way it makes all the ways in which things aren't growing or haven't moved or are being choked out seem like nothing. All the seeds in the other, the other soils are all singular. This is, you know, like when you get down into the Greek, like they're all singular seeds. This one's plural. You know what that tells me is that this is a vision of the kingdom of the kingdom of people who are yielding themselves and therefore yielding 30 and 60 and 100. Man, like that's the life I want. And that's what I, the life I believe you want. 
Because of the Spirit, that's what He wants to do in you. We bear fruit. It says, um, hearing, asking, repenting, and bearing fruit. That's the definition of the life of faith. Let me illustrate this. When I give my sermon to Becky in advance, she always says, okay, you need to tell stories better. About, I mean, you tell better stories about this, otherwise it doesn't make sense. So I'm going to tell you how God, in his great kindness, walked me through this this week. Um, uh, I have an older brother named Chris, and he's three years older. Um, and um, on Sunday, last Sunday, he texted me, he said, hey, listen, my, my son and I, Caleb, his son Caleb, and I are going to come up and grab the uh, couch that belongs to my parents that's been stored at our place. Uh, and hey, do you mind if we come and spend the night? Now, I don't see my brother very often, actually hardly at all. We're not super close. Um, but I was like, that'd be terrific. Why don't you come on up? And so, so he's planning on it. So Monday morning, I get up early, and I'm, and I'm journaling, which is something I'm trying to do more of. And um, I had uh, read the morning's passage, which is awesome because it was one of our early readings. It was Psalm 37. It's one of the passages I was reading. Verse 3 through 5, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness, which you could just spend a whole bunch of time on befriend faithfulness, but we won't do that. That's not today's sermon. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Such a great thing. So I'd written that down at the top of my journal page, and I was kind of chewing on that a little bit, kind of reflecting on my life. And, and next thing you know, I start writing, hey, you know, and I, when I journal, it's like I prayer journal, so I'm talking to God about it. I'm like, Father, you know, Chris and, and Caleb are coming up today, and, and, you know, I don't know about you. Some of you may, may lie in your journals. It's just not super helpful. So, so I decided to talk to God honestly, and uh, I said, Lord, I don't know why, but I, I really want to impress him. It's got to be probably the first time in about five years or six years that he's been in our home and first time I think that he spent the night in a long, long time and like, I want to I I impress him. What actually came out next is, no, I don't want to just impress him. I want to win. And I was like, oh, that's ugly. I want to win. Yeah, I, I, want, I, want to, I want him to, I want him to almost envy my life. And there's nothing like looking down at the page, seeing the scripture, trust in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart and I want to win over my brother, Father. Those are not compatible in case you're wondering. So I'm talking to God and saying, Lord, I don't know what's going on here. I just started musing with him. Okay, Lord, what would it look like what would it look like if um, I just enjoyed being with him? If I was just myself, nothing more or nothing less, and I can do both. To offer what's true, what I am and, and what I do have, and, and, and to be connected enough to you to receive from you what you have for me in this moment without demanding or extracting something else out of it. Something I feel like I have to have, Lord, help me. I, I want to understand. So I was sitting there, and, and suddenly, the Lord reminds me of two days before. 
you're thinking, what happened two days ago, two days before? Well, I was doing a wedding. My niece uh, got married, and um, I got to perform the ceremony, and um, there's someone that was going to be at that wedding, that was at that wedding, that is a former classmate of mine at Milton High School. So, for those of you who don't know, I got pregnant my senior year in high school. Becky and I got pregnant. <laughs> Everyone's always like, you got pregnant? And you're like, eh. So, yes, is the answer. Um, and so we got married and had kids very, very young. And, um, and one of my, like, core life vows that I made before God is I was going to make this right. I was going to fix this. I was going to achieve. I was going to succeed. I was going to make something of myself. And I had this strange little story that 10 years from now, I'm going to come back to my high school reunion, and I'm going to show everybody how I killed it. I had all this opposition, but I came through, and look at this. I'm, I'm ahead. I'm ahead. I'm winning. And lo and behold, I'm at this wedding, and who's going to be there? This classmate of mine who was a friend, not super close, but a friend. And... Um, as it would happen, this friend and her husband were at Roswell Community Church when I first got here, but left after about six months when we started changing stuff. So there's all this noise internally in, for me on Saturday as I'm doing this wedding because what I want to show, what I want to display is not only did I just kill this ceremony, and it was going to be fantastic. I know, don't you want me to do your wedding now? Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I'm the center here. Um, and, uh, but I was going to prove that I'm, I've made it. Like I have a life that's worthy of envy maybe even, that I've, that I've proven that I've been able to overcome all those things. And you see, what, what God showed me is I haven't allowed the truth of the gospel to go all the way down there. Like it hasn't been pressed all the way through. It, I'm still wondering, do I matter? Do I... Can, do I need to, can someone prove to me the voice of the Lord who says, you know, I delight in you, Matt, because of my son? It's just not enough. I need to know that, that they delight in me or they're impressed with me. The fact that he calls me an heir to his kingdom is just not, just not enough for me, not right in this moment. See, I need to, I got to make up for this thing, and apparently I'm still trying to, 20 flipping eight years later. But there it is. You see, it's not all the way down yet. It hasn't been worked all the way down. There's other stuff that's cropped through, and what God wants is he wants freedom for me. He wants me to be alive. He wants you to be alive. He wants 30, 60, and 100-fold, and, and this is just choked out stuff. And so what was awesome is to be able to say, Lord, I want to delight myself in you, and I'm going to trust that you're going to give me the desires of my heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and the verse says, and he will act. See, my entire life, I'm always feeling like if I could just act it enough, push it enough, accomplish it enough, then it will matter. Then maybe I'll matter. Maybe that 17-year-old boy who's still trying to figure his way, maybe, maybe that guy will know then. And the Lord's saying, I, I will act. You trust me, and I will act. You see, that's, that's the seed of the good news. And so as I sat there realizing, oh my, what a, what a mess, the kindness of the Lord saying, I know, Let, let's, press this, let's press the seed of the gospel, the word, just a little bit more deeply in, that you would believe once more 
maybe a little bit more, maybe a little truer that, that you belong to me in Christ, that it is well, that you don't have to strive, you don't have to perform for anyone. He would act on my behalf and that his action on my behalf is better than any action I could do for myself. Man, I want to believe that more and more. And I believe it more. And one of the things that manifested itself was I had one of the best times I've ever had with my brother. I ended up canceling several meetings the next morning because it was that good. It, it was that significant. And, and I, told, I told Becky this, and um, it yielded. R -r -listen, hearing God, asking him, what in the world's going on? Him showing me, me being like, that's terrible. And then repenting and saying, I don't want this to be true. Would you make something different true in me while I'm with my brother today? I'm in my next wedding, we'll figure that out, but let's just deal with my brother today. <laughs> and he did. And, and there were some times where, where Chris and I are talking, and I felt a certain kind of joy and enjoyment at the deep part of my soul that I have not experienced in so long I can't even remember. That was a yield. I felt free. I, I felt connected I was able to just enjoy and be present. I didn't think once about what I was trying to impress. I, I, that doesn't happen in that setting ever. I had lunch with someone after he left, they left mid-morning, and so I had a lunch meeting, and the guy I was having lunch with looked at me. He said, dude, you, you seem happy. You seem, you seem full. I was like, I, I am. Like, I I'm full. I feel, I feel full of something that's not, I had a good time with my brother. I feel, full of, I feel full of good soil. I feel alive. And I want to feel alive more and more. You see, there is something very, very powerful in trusting God with our lives. How do we become the kind of people who are that kind of soil? How, how does that happen? How does that manifest in us? Well, there's a seed, and there is soil, and there's good soil. But there's the message of the seed that is given by the sower. And the character that takes very little room in this particular story is, is the one who sows is the one who would become the seed. The seed who has to go in the ground, according to, first John, to John chapter 12, verse 24, he says, truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, if it dies, it bears much fruit. The only way we're going to become the kind of people who are going to be able to hear well, are going to be able to move towards God and ask him, okay, what and how? And then repent, accept the reality that he describes, and then find ourselves bearing fruit that would surprise anyone and hopefully everyone, is when we see him choosing to be that seed, capital S, that's being driven into the ground, into the soil of our sinfulness, dying for us. 
and then being raised to life. And in his raising, you know what happens to the soil? Transformed. It's no longer the soil of rebellion, and it's the soil of sonship. It's the soil belonging to God as his children because of Jesus. You see, only, only to the degree in which we see the sower becoming the seed, dying for us, will become the kind of people who will hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's my prayer. For you. It's been my prayer for you all week that you would hear the good news of the gospel, that it would maybe pierce you or make you uncomfortable or, or make you ask questions like, to what degree am I operating like an outsider? If you're hearing this today and you feel like an outsider, you're, I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus, being with Jesus, and, and you're like, I don't know that. That's, that's outside of my experience. That's something I'm curious about but not sure about yet. I just want to say... He's inviting you in. The, the sower is generous. Do you, do you see? He, he scatters the seed everywhere. And, and according to Scripture, he, he knows what responses are going to look like, and he scatters them anyway. He, he's generous. He's inviting us to be generous with that same message, but, but he's inviting you in. Loved ones, friends, he's calling you towards himself to experience him, his word, which is life for you. Let's pray. Father, we want to pay attention to the word implanted in us, which can give us life. And you have given us not just the word spoken, but the word lived, Christ, our Savior. And so we want to respond to him. We want to move towards him. We want to listen to him. We want to know him. So we ask, will you give us ears to hear? Would you help us know and see? And would you help us to hear your call and that we would declare also the mystery of our faith that Christ has died Christ is risen and Christ will come again. That's the best news. That's something we can lean on, that we can trust, that we can bet our entire life on. And so we ask, Lord, that, that we would move in that kind of way towards you because of Christ. Thank you for your word, which tells us the truth about us, tells us the truth about you, and can give us life through your spirit. And so we ask that you would use your word songs we've sung, and these elements at this table to, to fill us, to nourish us, and to make us more like you. We pray this in Christ our Savior. Amen. This is the table of remembrance. This is the table in which we come and we declare that mystery, and that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And so come, if you belong to Jesus, this is your meal. Come and receive the body and blood of Christ for you.